honesty about your past can be liberating. Casper's attempted suicide by cop happened in August of 2009. The trial for the associated aggravated assault charges took place more than a year later, and in December of 2010, he was sentenced to a maximum of 22 years and taken to SCI Fayette, a 2,000-bed maximum security prison in Fayette County, Pennsylvania. Within his first hour there, during the strip search at intake, he met another member of the gang he'd founded, State Prison Skinheads, or SPS. This other member went by the nickname Tiny, which, for the record, was unrelated to the strip search. When the two of them were put in general population, Tiny found yet another member of SPS named Sean. He introduced me to Sean, you know, and Sean starts telling me, hey, man, you know, I heard you guys are SPS, you know, as soon as we get out in the yard. I'm like, yeah, you know, what's going on? And he was like, oh, just let you know I'm running things here. And I'm like, not anymore. Recall that when members of SPS meet, the junior member is supposed to pronounce his tree to the senior member, which means to recite his recruitment lineage all the way from the person who recruited him back to one of the founders, who are called first tree members. I'm like, you need to run your tree down to me. And he's like, well, no, you need to tell me your tree. I was like, I'm Casper. I am your fucking tree. And he's like, oh, holy shit, man. You know, and he starts, he starts running down his tree. After that, word spread like wildfire that a founding gang member had arrived at SCI Fayette. And before Casper knew it, anyone with any ties at all to white supremacy was vying for his attention. And they're like, hey, man, is your name Casper? Yeah. All right, yo, over here, 88, brother. What's up? You know, 88. Casper explains to me that 88 is a white supremacist greeting. The two eights represent H's, since H is the eighth letter in the alphabet, and they stand for Heil Hitler. It's a way of saying to another white supremacist, I'm on your side. It's like they all wanted to hang on to me like, oh, yo, you're the man. You're the fucking man, dude. You know, hey, we want to hang out with you. You know, what do you need? What do you need us to do? Who should we go fuck up? And I'm like, Say, calm the fuck down. Give me a fucking cup of coffee. How about that? And just like that, Casper found himself back in his old role. But this time, he wasn't on board with the ideology. And from the start, he struggled to rationalize his continued involvement in SPS. I'm searching for that reason to keep doing this, other than the fact that I'm Casper. You know, I started this. This is my thing. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't believe in this anymore. How can I keep running this and not believe it? For the next year or so, that would be Casper's battle. In this episode, we'll hear how he decided to handle it, and, finally, how he publicly declared himself to be done with both SPS and the white supremacy movement entirely. This is Hate No More, the story of one man's journey into and out of violent white supremacy. I'm Henry Rambo. Casper's first order of business in SCI Fayette was to learn the lay of the land. Because in prison and in the gang world, just as everywhere else, knowledge is power. I'm in this prison that's classified as a level four max custody prison, you know, and I'm like, okay, so who runs shit around here? Where's all the gang leaders and blah, blah, blah. 
who's fucking making shanks, who's doing this, who's doing that. And they're like, you got to watch out for, you know, this guy, that guy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, all right. His first big realization was that SCI Fayette wasn't nearly as rough as Trenton or Rahway, the prisons he'd been in in New Jersey. I tell the one guy, I'm like, dude, this place isn't that bad. And he was like, oh, you don't understand. He was like, we had two stabbings this year. What? You know, and he's like, yeah, we, we've had two shankings already this year. And I'm like, yeah, let me tell you something. I'm like, the last time I was in prison, it was a fucking stabbing every day. Like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was exaggerating. I mean, raw way, there's not a stabbing every day, but I mean, there's at least one a week. Casper was also accustomed to prison yards that were divided up into territory by race. But in SCI Fayette, the delineations weren't immediately obvious. So he asked the others. So where's Cracker Beach? Where do all the white guys hang out? And they're like, oh, no, everybody uh, you know, around here just kind of hangs out together. What? What do you mean they hang out together? Another thing Casper found shocking was that the corrections officers, COs, walked around in the yard instead of staying up in the towers. Incredulous, Casper again asked, And why the fuck are these COs walking around in my yard? There's 800 fucking inmates in this fucking yard, and you're letting these two cops walk around tell people what the fuck to do? Man, this place ain't no fucking max security prison. Get the fuck away from me with this shit. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first thing that got Casper into trouble. And sure as shit, somebody went and told these cops that I was telling the other inmates the COs shouldn't be allowed to walk in our yard. And they took me down to the fucking warden's office and had a chat with me about how things run here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> Inmates don't run the jails here. The corrections officers run the jails here, and they'd kindly like me to keep it that way. If I can't keep it that way, they have a special cell separate from everybody with my name on it. Ten years earlier, Casper might have responded differently to this threat. But this time around, he felt less inclined to bring trouble on himself. So I decided I'm going to shut my fucking mouth from here on out and wait for my appeal to come back and hope I can get the fuck out of here. In the meantime, Sean and Tiny proved to be as zealous for white supremacy as Casper himself had been when he first got involved. They kept talking about patching people up, you know, making SPS bigger. But Casper used his appeal process as an excuse for putting off gang-related business. I kept telling him, I got all this legal shit I'm dealing with. Don't bring none of this to me. Don't bring any business to me until I deal with my case. And that's how I distanced myself from it. And everybody pretty much bought it. This put him in something of a bind, though, because he had also forbidden them from patching anyone up without his approval. So they continued bringing a steady stream of potential prospects to his attention. And I kept coming up with reasons why they weren't good enough. All my reasons were bullshit, but they didn't know that. And they never picked up on the fact that these guys were perfect fucking candidates for SPS. In addition to recruiting new members, Tiny also wanted to distribute propaganda. He asked Casper if he could have some sent into the prison, and Casper balked. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, I've been so busy dealing with my case. I'm not sure what the rules are here in PA, you know, how we can get shit in or anything like that, you know. Um, and 
I could have got literature in. It wouldn't have been hard. He says that if he had still been in his old mindset, he would have saturated the prison with propaganda. There would have been fucking newsletters, all kinds of articles, books, like you name it, I'd have gotten it in there. As it was, he told Tiny that he would have to find his own sources, which he did. Tiny finally reached out to a couple people. He got some shit sent in, started passing around, and I was just like, ah, fuck. Casper summarizes his involvement in this way. I was purposely sabotaging what I created. You know, and if they had ever picked up on that, I always wonder what would have happened. You know, because Tiny and Sean, it would have been it would have been a hell of a fight. But I think if they if they came at me together, even if nobody else backed them up, you know, just those two, if they came at me together, they'd have had a good chance of taking me out. And they could have justified it. Even though he was using his appeal process as an excuse to distance himself from SPS, it was true that he was consumed by it. Just as he had done before, he was putting his own case together with the assistance of standby counsel. Since we spent an entire episode on his previous appeal, I won't dwell on this one. But suffice it to say, the prosecution's argument was weak from the start. Their reasoning went like this. Casper had admitted that he was trying to get the police to shoot him. But in order to achieve that goal, he would have had to make them feel that their lives were threatened, and such a threat must qualify as assault. Here's an excerpt from the trial transcript in which the district attorney tried to make this argument while cross-examining Casper. DA. And you would also agree, sir, wouldn't you, that the only way that officers would utilize their gun upon anybody is if that person was threatening them, correct? Casper. Well, correct. They're not going to shoot you if you're bringing them coffee and donuts. DA. Right, but if you're just standing with a knife, they're not going to shoot you, correct? Casper. No. DA. The person who has the knife must convey to them the intent to use that knife, correct? Casper. Or at least make them think that. DA. Well, the only way that somebody's going to be made to think that is if the person who has the knife conveys that to them, correct? Casper. Correct. DA. And on August 4th, that person was you, correct? Casper. Yes, it was. That was what got Casper convicted. In the jury's eyes, Casper admitted that he had conveyed intent to use the knife on the officers and his conveyance of that intent constituted aggravated assault. But on the basis of body camera footage and transcripts of the incident, the Pennsylvania Superior Court disagreed. In November of 2011, they wrote in their decision, quote, The record establishes that the defendant never verbally threatened the police officers and that he never got close enough to any of them to take a substantial step toward inflicting serious bodily injury on any of them. Accordingly, we conclude that the record does not contain any evidence to support findings that the defendant acted with intent to inflict serious bodily injury. We therefore vacate the judgment of sentence as to the defendant's convictions. End quote. And so once more, Casper was released from prison on appeal. This time was different, though. The last time he got out, he still identified as a neo-Nazi skinhead, and he continued to support SPS. But now, after having spent years debunking the pseudoscientific propaganda he'd been fed, after befriending old man John and discovering a whole new world of love and positivity, after living a lie and pretending to remain devoted to the white supremacy movement during his stint in SCI Fayette, he had to make a change. 
Leaving would be risky, but... I decided whatever happens, happens. I'm not doing this anymore. And I told everybody, you know, I started writing everybody in SPS and telling them, listen, I'm retiring my patch and I'm stepping out, like completely stepping out. Retiring his patch meant disavowing all association with SPS. And in fact, he literally tattooed the word retired above his SPS tattoo, took a picture of it, and printed dozens of copies to mail out to everyone in SPS. It was a weekend, it was a Saturday, and I had decided I'm just gonna write all these fucking letters, I'm gonna send them all out at once. That way, there's no confusion about anything, there's no rumors going around, everybody knows what's what, which it didn't stop the fucking rumors from flying anyway. But I probably sat down for eight hours and wrote 20, 25 letters just in one day, you know? And I mean, they weren't real long letters. It was, you know, maybe one piece of paper written on both sides and letting everybody know I'm done and giving them a couple of reasons of why I'm done. I asked him what reasons he gave. Pretty much just letting them know that, you know, I didn't believe the pseudoscience bullshit they were pushing anymore because actual science tells me something different. And having his friendship with old man John in mind, he also told them that he saw people differently now. I'd let them know, like, listen, now that I actually see, you know, people for their actions and not their skin color, none of this adds up. He says that at first, people wrote back to argue with him. More than a few people had my phone number and my address. I started getting letters. Everybody was trying to call me like, what's this mean? What's going on? And I'm like, it's all bullshit. You know, the doctrines, the ideologies, all of it, it's bullshit. It's based on on nothing. And I don't want any parts of it anymore. You know, I'm still here, you know, to help you as much as I can get through prison, whatever you need somebody to talk to, you know, I'm your boy. And time after time, I got the response, man, fuck you. You're a fucking race trader. Don't ever contact me again. If I see you on the street, I'm going to fuck you up. I asked Casper if the people saying this were men he'd been close to. These are people I spilled blood for, you know, and it was just toxic when I started letting everybody know that I was done, it was toxic. You know, I had so many letters and stuff coming in the mail. You know, you better fucking disappear because we're coming. In addition to threats, rumors started spreading that he was talking to the feds, giving up information on people. And I wasn't. You know, I... Even though I was getting out of the movement, I still had this kind of a convict mentality, like I'm not snitching on nobody. But that rumor got out there and man, the the kickback from that was, you know, I, I had somebody drive past my house and shoot through one of my windows. You know, I had people just constantly telling me, I don't know if you can tell who this is by the handwriting, but just know you are no longer strong, proud, or safe. We're going to end you, you know? And I'm like, yeah, I know who it is. 
On hearing about these reactions, I wondered why Casper had felt compelled to write everyone in the first place. Why hadn't he just drifted away silently without saying anything? He replied that he was motivated by a strange sense of honor. I just didn't feel comfortable walking away without giving them some kind of explanation why. He also didn't want to lose friendships that he'd thought were deeper than the movement. I think I was still hoping that they would still be, you know, friends, which, you know, now looking back on it, it's like, well, you were wishing for a whole lot there, buddy. <laughs> when asked how he would have responded if the shoe had been on the other foot, he admits that he might have reacted the same way they did, at least toward Bobby and Chris. I would have been pretty tough on them. I, I would have been very tough on them. I probably would have treated them the way they treated me. But not Johnny and Baron. They were my family. I mean, we literally, me, you know, me and Baron literally grew up together from the crib. And if he would have made the choice to leave and told me why he was leaving, I probably would have told him, yeah, I don't agree with it, but you're always going to be my brother and I'm always here for you. And that's what he'd been hoping they would say. I figured these guys are still always going to have my back because of what we've been through, the way we lived our lives, blah, blah, blah. And I was dead wrong. And that, that, that really got to me for a while. And I really had to rein myself in and realize that they didn't care about me as a person. They just cared about me being a soldier for their cause. I was just a fucking pawn, you know, to all of these people, to all of them. And that hurt. Like, that hurt a lot. Even with all the hate he's received from them all, he says he would still be there for them if they were in real trouble. But at the same time, if they were to call me up right now and be like, listen, man, I know you don't like me because I'm still involved with SPS or whatever, but you know, we're struggling here. My kids are starving. I don't know what else to do. I'd still help them out. I know a lot of people would tell me that I'm wrong for doing that, you know, because they're a white supremacist or whatever. How dare you help them? Listen, if I can help them, maybe that'll be my inroad to get them out. You know, and there are still people within white supremacy I wish I could reach them. I wish I could get them to understand how toxic it is and how wrong it is. Not just morally wrong, but academically wrong, I guess, so to speak. I wish I could get them to see through the bullshit. Perhaps the most painful part of it all was the complete loss of identity and community. Casper compares it to losing your religion. You give up everything and everybody that supported you. And you have to find yourself all over again. Finding a new community is especially hard because few people will trust a former extremist. Nobody in the movement trusts you. And nobody in society really wants to trust you because you're admitting to them that you were a white supremacist. You know, and it's, it's lonely for a long time. But community is available. More and more people are leaving white supremacist and extremist organizations. They call themselves formers. I think things are, are, are getting better now because there is this big 
open community of formers on social media now. You know, we're all starting to find each other and build this community of former extremists. The people whose trust has been hardest for him to gain are the family members he cut off three decades ago. Most notably, his black cousins, with whom he had been quite close when he was little. It, it took a while. It didn't take very long to cut everybody off, but it took a long time to start getting everybody back. He says some people's reason for rejecting him was that he stopped believing in God. But that doesn't bother him. He feels like that's their problem, not his. As for those who were hurt by his involvement in white supremacy, however, that's a different matter. The whole racist thing, I gotta own that. That's a me issue. You know, I'll own that. Those relationships have improved, but he acknowledges that he has more work to do. I'm still proving myself to some of them. You know, they're, they're still not very trusting of me. He recalls how the cousin he was closest to responded when he first got back in touch with her and told her he had left the movement. She was like, so, you know, what happened? You know, did they beat you up or something and you decide you don't want to run with them anymore? And I'm like, no, you know, I, I just got educated better. When it became clear that he really had changed, they began talking more. We don't talk as much as I'd like, but she does talk to me now, you know, and we've had some, some really in-depth talks about why I did all that, why I believed all that. And, uh, I mean, they were good talks, but they were sad talks. You know, like I could see how much pain that had caused her going, you know, going through those kind of details and everything. But, you know, she knows that that's, that's not me. You know, it, we can blame it on a lot of things. We can blame it on me going to prison. We can blame it on, you know, just having some bad people fuck with my head or whatever. But ultimately... It was my decision. I made that choice. I was a grown-ass man, and I decided to believe that shit. Despite how sad those conversations were, Casper feels good about the outcome. She's, she's forgiven me. I know she has. The story is similar with another cousin he was once close to. He said he forgives me, you know, but it would take a lot of work for him to trust me again, you know, and, and come around to actually believing you know, that I do care about my family again. I, I think for the most part, he's starting to realize like, oh, okay, you know, he's actually back to being a decent human being again. Apart from his cousins, he wonders if there are other people he still owes an apology. Sometimes I, I think about a lot of the people I knew when I was a kid, you know, that I didn't see again when I went to prison or when I got out. And it's like, man, you know, I wonder if they knew, you know, I wonder if they ever found out about me being a white supremacist, you know. It's not just people from his past he has to worry about. He's constantly aware that every new friend he makes might eventually find out what he once was. And so rather than waiting for them to hear it from someone else, he just leads with it himself. Anybody new that I meet now, that's one of the first things I tell them. Like, hey, listen, you know, I'm glad we're getting along and everything, but you should know this, you know, because somebody might approach you and tell you, and I don't want you to think that I was hiding anything from you or lying to you or anything like that, you know? And if that 
bothers you or whatever, that's fine. We don't have to talk anymore, but I'm hoping that you're going to be the kind of person that says that's your past. That's not who you are now. For the most part, he's been relieved by the way people have responded, especially the woman he's now married to. You know, our very first date, I started telling her, you know, hey, you remember the story about me going to prison in New Jersey for 12 and a half years? Well, I got into neo-Nazi skinhead, you know, started my own prison gang, you know, and she's like, well, you don't do that now, right? And I'm like, well, no, you know, I haven't done that in years. And I was like, okay, well, it's in the past then, don't worry about it. A lot of new people have come into his life now, including a black stepdaughter who spoke to me on FaceTime. She calls Casper dad and enjoys watching how people react when she introduces them to him. It's funny, too, when she tells people, hey, this is my dad. And she'll introduce me to him and they'll be like, wait, I've met your mom and that's your dad, but you're not adopted. And she's like, well, he's not my father, but that's my dad. It's a role he's embraced, right down to the way he deals with anyone who harasses her. Don't fuck with my kids. Like, that's my kid. Whether or not, you know, she's got my DNA or anything, that's my kid. I will fucking end you. Having a dad who's a former neo-Nazi skinhead has provided her with endless entertainment. I don't know why she wanted to do this, whatever. I'm sitting on top of this picnic table and I got my feet on the bench part. And she's talking to this other girl and, you know, she's like, yeah, you know, this is my dad. And she was like, oh, yeah, you don't really know a whole lot about my family, huh? And the girl's like, no, you know, and she was like, well, here, check this out. And she lifts my freaking shirt up and shows her a swastika. I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and the girl's like, wait a minute. Casper has since had the giant swastika on his stomach covered up, so she can't pull that stunt anymore. But in any case, having a stepdaughter who's been able to accept him in spite of his past has given him greater confidence in opening up about it. And today, the person who's hardest on Casper is probably Casper himself. It's been especially difficult for him to admit that he got victimized by the propaganda, the people who fed it to him, and the movement as a whole. You know, I take responsibility for my choices, but at the same time, I have to accept the fact that I was a victim. You know, even though I made that choice, I was a victim. And that's not easy for me. You know, I don't like to admit that I'm the victim. You know, I'm the guy that freaking gets in a cage and tries to beat the ever-loving piss out of somebody. You know, I'm the guy that was in prison that refused to be a victim. And now it's like, okay, physically, you weren't a victim, but mentally, I got to accept the fact that I was a victim. You know, I fell victim to bad ideas and propaganda. And the only way I can ever, you know, truly recover from that is to admit that, yeah, they got me. I point out that a lot of people might interpret his admission of victimhood as an excuse. And he acknowledges that there's a balance that needs to be struck still having accountability for my own actions while realizing that I'm a victim. That's, that's a fine line. That's a tightrope. You have to realize that, you know, you are a victim, but get over that and do something positive with it. 
All of these things have been part of a long healing process for Casper. Recognizing that he got victimized, taking responsibility for his past choices, not hiding anymore, and being open about his past. These things have helped him build a new identity and move on, but it will always be an ongoing process. I, I do still get bouts of depression, you know, and really bad anxiety sometimes, but a lot of that I think is because, I don't know, I just, I didn't feel like I belonged in society. I'm, I don't know that, like I said earlier, living that, that hidden life, you know, not being able to talk to anybody, not knowing how to talk to anybody. And then it, it just finally was like, you know what? Fuck it. You know, I'm going to tell everybody who I used to be. And if that loses, you know, people's respect or whatever, then that's, that's on them, you know, but this is who I used to be. And this is what I am now. Take it or leave it. With that attitude, Casper was able to begin speaking up to educate people about the white supremacy movement and to begin helping other people get out of it. We'll hear more about that next time on Hate No More. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment right now, yes, now, to rate it, review it, and share it. To support us and get immediate ad-free access to all episodes, go to patreon.com slash hate no more or click on the link in the show notes. Hate No More was written and produced by me, Henry Rambo. Sound design was provided by Michael Parkhurst at Nostalgic Innovations. Special thanks to my wife and to Ryan, Allison, George, and, of course, Casper. Finally, there's more than enough outrage and hate in the world already. If you log onto social media at all today, instead of sharing what upsets you, do what you can to make kindness and empathy go viral. We all need to play a higher game. And with that, thank you for listening.